Currently Tallahassee, a new podcast where we explore local grind and success stories from up-and-coming leaders that puts the future of Tallahassee first. Co-hosts Tarun Gupta and Chirag Shah are going to sit down with local leaders over a beer and provide listeners the insights to better prepare them for their own journey. What's up, Tally? Today, we're talking about something that's near and dear to my heart, education. I hate the fact that we don't invest nearly as much as we should into education and that as a society, we have trouble attracting top talent to the sector. So here to talk about these issues and more, we have Lance Davis of Engage Academics. Lance, can you give our listeners just a short little elevator pitch on who you are and what you do? Yeah. My name is Lance Davis. I live here in Tallahassee. I have two kids, a lovely wife, and I started this business called Engage Academics uh, roughly three years ago. And the goal of Engaged Academics is to bridge the academic gap that kids in Tallahassee are facing on a daily basis. Hey, Lance. Welcome to Currently Tallahassee. It's such a pleasure to have you on here, uh, seeing what you do throughout the community. And I'm just super thankful and proud for, and proud for whatever, everything you do for our community. So uh, I would like to start with a general question. Uh, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your childhood and how it basically brought you to what you do today? Yeah, um, as I grew up in a small Georgia town, it's called Colquitt, C-O-L-Q-U-I-T-T. <clears throat> Colquitt is known as like, the May Hall capital of the world. Uh, it hosts Georgia's official folklife play. has a lot of cool murals in town. But growing up in a small town, it was great when I was a child, but as I got older, you know, you crave something a little bit bigger, uh, a little bit more adventure in life, and uh, it kind of eventually led me down to Tallahassee. You know? Grew up a very blue-collar family, working with um, my grandfather and my dad, who were both in electronics. <clears throat> Didn't want to do that, but with all things kind of family-related, you eventually kind of fall into it. Did that for several years. Um, started a business. The uh, business was you know fairly successful for many years, and then we went through the the recession in 2007, 2008 weathered through it till about 2010 and then I really started thinking about wanting to make a career change. Uh, fortunately, I grew up in a family that valued education, so I was able to just, you know, pick up a new career pretty easily by taking some college classes, you know, graduating with a new degree and uh, becoming a teacher. And I taught in the classroom for six years before starting engaged academics. And I saw that you went to Thomas University and Florida State University for your master's program. What kind of student were you during that uh, during your time there? Were you that type of student where you kind of buckled down and got straight A's, or or were you the type of person that you kind of got bored and maybe not try your hardest? <laughs> so, so when I was a kid, uh, K through twelve, I put forth minimal effort. A's, B's, and C's were good enough for mom and dad. C's get degrees. These B's and C's are good enough for me. I was kind of in a fixed mindset back then. I knew that I didn't really see anything bigger for me outside of the small town life. You know, so I was in this fixed mindset. This is just what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And it took many, many years to kind of break that mindset. Lots of instrumental people that came into my life that said, hey, you're a pretty smart guy. You got some unique talents. You know, why don't you try to do something a little bit bigger than what you're doing now? You know, think bigger, Mm -hmm. Um, which eventually led me into, you know, some growth mindset, mentality, and teachings. But long story short is when I decided to make the career change from electrical work to teaching, I originally approached Florida State University, and I said, hey, I'd like to enter in your education program. And they basically told me, well, you have a full-time job, and 
you're not willing to quit that job. And most of our classes occur during the daytime. So you're pretty much like, we can't help you out right now. So I was like pretty disheartened, you know, because that was FSU was like my number one place to go. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did a little bit of research and I found Thomas University and Thomas University wound up being probably, probably the best fit for me at the time. Smaller class sizes, the director, um, the, the chair of the education department had came from Florida State University and her philosophy was pretty much in, in line with you know, my philosophy in education. She believed in immersion type education. Mm -hmm. So went into their education program, pretty much got immersed in the classroom. They took the position of hey, we know you got to work. We know you got a family to support. If you can make it to, you know, 90% of the classes, then and keep your grades up, we're good. Mm -hmm. So I went in there with the mentality of, okay, one day I'm going to go into the classroom. I'm going to be teaching kids. And how can I ask a kid to give me their best effort if I'm not willing to give my best effort today? So I just, I worked full time. I buckled down. I did all my, you know, assignments, you know, met all the goals you know, ask for, you know, as much feedback as possible, even though that feedback a lot of times isn't always positive, but you got it. You have to hear it. Um, graduated cum laude from Thomas University, sat as the president of their student-led honor council, mm -hmm. graduated with the president's award, which is the highest award given to a graduate from wow. Thomas University at that particular time, um, and just really excelled in the program. Uh, taught over in Thomasville for a little while, mm -hmm. and then I was offered a job here in Tallahassee. Uh, but as soon as I finished my, you know, my bachelor's in education, I said, you know, I want a little bit more. So mm -hmm. I, I jumped into the graduate program at Florida State, which was uh, instructional systems and learning technologies, which is mm -hmm. basically used to be instructional design. Okay. And the idea behind that was I wanted to learn more about how curriculum can be better assembled to help the learner um, assimilate information better. So, I mean, on that note, how important do you think a master's degree is for education because there's so many different career paths of education right like to be a teacher and i mean obviously you don't just have to be a teacher but what are your thoughts on someone well, who's thinking about education like what kind of higher learning should they strive for yeah i think learning is you know you have to be a learner you have to be a lifelong learner and no matter what career you're in um but you know large-scale university-type education. I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm not bought into it as a lot of people are bought into it. There, Some people are education, you know, track. I mean, as far as, like, college education track. Other people are more, you know, built for, you know, vocational tech tra track, you know. We live in a society where everyone pushes college education, college education. And a lot of kids wind up following that track, not being successful. They wind up in this fixed mindset of failure, and they never really overcome it in life. But for education, I think, you know, you need constant professional development. You need um, a strong background in pedagogical type skills. And uh, as far as a higher level graduate degree, you know, you got to play the game to, to get the jobs that you <laughs> right, want. Right. But... You know, my ego wants me to do a PhD. Right. And I don't want to be a school administrator. I don't. Right. How would I ever pay for that? You know what I mean? And with, you know, education as a teacher, you know, teacher salaries are pretty low, you know, especially in the state yeah. of Florida, they're really low, right? right? So it's just, you know, the debt I incurred, you know, getting a degree in education, was it worth it? Yeah, I mean, to me, intrinsically, it's worth it. But from a financial standpoint, from a P&L kind of standpoint, is it worth it? Right. And then, <laughs> yeah, I've 
I mean, I always think there's some cognitive dissonance going on afterwards because humans want to justify things. So I'll see a lot of people who did get grad degrees and they'll justify it and say, yeah, like it was totally worth it. And I don't know. I'm still not a huge believer in. Well, you know, to be honest with you, when I got into the ISLT program at Florida State, I learned a tremendous amount. And and it was a a project-based curriculum. So everything that we did had to be, you know, done as a project and submitted. So it was real-world application stuff. But I had a real strong passion for the instructional development stuff, you know, when I started the program. But by the time I was done with the program, I was like... I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I was too far into it to kind of make a change. But you know, the the, the number of assignments, the hoops you jump through, the, yeah. the checking the boxes gets to be overwhelming at times. And sometimes you get lost. What was I originally going to learn in this program? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think I think with most education things, it's important to have that you know stamp of approval on your resume. So the grad school degree, I mean, does that, especially if you're trying to go into jobs like academia or you know, be a principal at a school, for example, where it's a very public position, right? So I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was about how teacher salaries are so low, especially in Florida. And I think that's a big reason why, as a society, we just don't attract a ton of high achievers and top talent to the sector. You know, the most of the people who are getting, I don't say most, but a lot of the people who are getting all A's and top test scores, they're going into medicine, law, entrepreneurship, so on, so on. So, I mean, do you have any suggestions on how we can fix this? Like, yeah, I mean, I get to work with um, a lot of uh, teachers in the community. I get to mentor at uh, some of the schools in Leon County, and I'm always blown away by the talent that our teachers do have. So, Leon County, we have a talented pool of professionals. Why, why they're underpaid, that's, you know, legislative-related issues. Um, my personal theory is that, you know, to be a teacher, it's, it's more of like a calling. Nobody wakes up and says, right. I'm going to teach school so I can work 60 hours a week and, uh, you know, all these things, you know, and make a low salary, you know. And you have friends that, you know, are, are living the high life, so to speak, you know, but you're grading papers on a Saturday night or, or whatever right. it may be. But, you know, teaching is a calling, you know, you know and if you're if you if you have that calling, you know, I think our government at times kind of takes advantage of that. They take advantage of that intrinsic motivation, yep. that desire to want to help people. It's it's the same thing in social work. You see it in social work. You know, social work doesn't doesn't really pay that much, right? Right. I mean, it's a very stressful job. Like I had a huge disconnect between what I thought teaching was prior to being a teacher when I was a contractor, and I was like, oh man, you get the weekends off, you get. You know, the summer, summer off, off. all these great things. How hard can it be? And then I got into the world of education. And I was like, wow, this is exhausting. Mm. Because when you walk into a classroom, and this is kind of getting on a tangent a little bit. You know, go for it. But um, when, you, when you go into the classroom, I mean, you're connected all day. You're mentally and emotionally connected to those kids for eight hours, seven and a half hours, whatever it may be. And you can't turn it off. If you turn it off, something something happens. You know, you lose control of your classroom, or someone gets hurt, or whatever it may be. But you're mentally locked in. And even though a lot of times it's not a physically demanding job, you're on your feet a lot, you're walking a lot. But as far as like, I've done some pretty heavy manual labor in my life. Mm-hmm. But that's a different type of tired as when you go home, teacher tired, they call it, because your brain is just exhausted. You know, you're like mush. You're like. Right. I've listened to kids all day long, and then you go home and you listen to your kids. 
<laughs> you know? so, so, you know, you kind of get, you, you know, we, I see a lot of teacher burnout. I see teachers that are just incredibly frustrated and, um, you know, something that you care immensely about, someone you have just a, just a fiery passion about. And you see it over a period of time, you see it starting to dampen a little bit. You know, so I think the bigger question is, how do we take the talented teachers that we have in the community and just keep that fire ignited for them? How do we keep them the best they can possibly be? And I think you guys have some really good ideas here with your wellness program, your, you know, your sense of community, family. Uh, you know, a lot of times you feel isolated, you know, in certain schools. You just you become an island to yourself right. because you get kind of overwhelmed. And I'm sure that translates into any job. Mm-hmm. But, you know, finding those outlets, you know, for teachers to, to reignite that creativity. Maybe it's go into a professional development, sending them on a trip, yeah. you know, giving them some special award, you know, something just for that recognition. Mm-hmm. But there's thousands of teachers here in town. So, so how do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> Good question. So you mentioned earlier about playing the game. When you are pursuing any degree, whether it's education, marketing, accounting, experience is needed uh, through internships or jobs. Um, what kind of internships did you look for when you were in school? Did you go after the big, bigger companies or the smaller organizations where you could possibly make an impact right away? So for, for, for myself, mm-hmm. um, there wasn't really any time for internships. I was you know, working full time and the stuff I did with education was just for free. You could call it an internship, right. but it's student teaching, it's observation related hours. So basically in education, it's all, you know, just immersion. You, you, you get paired up with a teacher, you watch them do their thing, you get paired up with a lot of teachers, so you get to see the good, the bad, the ugly. You, you can pull something away from anyone you, you're paired with, right? Even if you feel like they're not the best teacher, you can come away with, okay, I would do that a little bit differently. Or you see someone as a dynamic teacher that's just incredible. You say, well, that's not really my style, but they have some really good ideas I can pull from. And that's basically what you know I did in education. I saw some good and the bad, and I took you know as much of the good as I could to kind of incorporate it into how I would teach. Um, and fortunately, like I got paired up in a school here in Tallahassee that I had a lot of autonomy teaching at. So I was able to teach math and science, but it was a private school, so we didn't have a state curriculum to, to go by. So I was able to just be very creative, outside the box, you know, thinking. And that allowed me to develop, you know, a different mindset of teaching. You know, when you can be creative, you can just be so much better at everything that you do when you're not locked into this box. And I feel like that goes back to your question about the talent, you know, you, you you say, hey, I want you to teach these kids. You're a great teacher, but this is the way I want you to teach them, right? Here's a box. Teach them this curriculum. You know, they got to meet these standards mm-hmm. and see what you can do, right? Mm-hmm. But when you can able, when, you, when you're able to strip that away, you know, tear the box up, throw it away, you can allow these kids to really, you know, shine. That's that's where education needs to move to. How do, how do we get there? You know, voting. <laughs> You know, you got to get the, you know, I mean, there's just so much going on in education with public schools and charter schools and privatization and voucher dollars and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, I tell people get heated about that kind of stuff, you know, and I tell people all the time, like, well, it depends on what side of the fence you stand on. Right. What your view is, you know, should education ever be, you know, about the money? No, it shouldn't be. But how do you provide a better quality education? for a child that may be in an environment where they're not receiving that quality of education. 
Out of curiosity, how do you feel about Teach for America as an organization? And do you think that it's a good program for college grads or, I mean, really anyone to go into? Is that a good experience that can help them later on? I mean, my limited knowledge on Teach for America comes from doing my research papers and Mm -hmm. uh, studying in college. I think it's great for the individual going into Teach for America because you're going to go into a school that's going to demand that you perform, right? Is it good for the student? I'd probably say no. Is it good for the individual teacher to get that experience? Yes. But, you know, you throw uh, an inexperienced teacher into a a troubled school or a difficult school, right? You know, who really suffers at the end of the day, you know? Your job may be difficult and you may have a lot of trouble, but who really suffers? Is it the kids, you know, that have a new teacher that doesn't have the best guidance that is that teacher knows as a stepping stone for them? So it's, it's kind of hard to say, you know, I wouldn't take advantage of it. <laughs> so if not Teach for America, like if I was a student right now at Florida State wanting, like I woke up and just realize I really want to pursue a career in education. What are some things I should start off by doing? So if you want to pursue a degree in education or you want to be an educator, you need to shadow some educators. You need to do your due diligence, find out what the job's really about. Um, one of the best things about why the, the chair of Thomas University had her mindset about education was because she had seen students from traditional programs like Florida State University. Um, and this is not knocking Florida State University at all because it's I got my you know master's from there and it's a great school. But, <laughs> but what you see a lot of times in education programs is these people go through an education program for three or four years, and at the end of their four years, they finally get to that culmination. Of, I'm going into a classroom to do my student teaching experience, right? And they're very naive. They haven't you know done it before that. So so you you say just like I did in that master's level program, right? So by the time I'm out of the program, I'm four years in, this is going to go into my student teaching experience, and then all of a sudden I find out I don't want to be a teacher. This is not what I thought it was. This is way too difficult, or I can't manage the classroom, whatever that may be. You, you, you Now you're stuck with a degree that you may or may not use. So what happens? So the, the great thing about her philosophy at Thomas University was, as soon as you get an education program, we're putting you in the classroom. They're going to know real quick whether you want to be a teacher or not. And if you don't want to be a teacher, you got two years left, basically, to change change majors. But do your due diligence. Shadow some educators. Talk to as many people as you can. Call, meet a principal. These principals, and I mean, everyone I've met in Leon County Schools is really, really good about communicating. The principals at, at several schools are just great about, you know, taking their time to, to, to talk with you. You know, I'm sure they would show you around, you know, let you know what it's like to be a day in the life of an administrator or a teacher. But, you know, teaching is a calling. You have to be, you know, you have to desire. You have to want it. So let's switch gears a bit and talk more about your company, Engage Academics. So what are some of your differentiators as an education company? So Engage Academics focuses on rehabilitation over retention. We truly want to take these children that are struggling academically, give them the tools, them and their parents, the tools they need to be successful without us. Each time we take on a client, our goal is to make them not a client. 
not a client through poor service or poor you know um, methods and strategies but a client because they just don't need us anymore right. so we want to basically make them well okay. so to make someone well you need a good tutor in in the service oriented industry high turnover is always available i mean i know before I started current, my, my background was hospitality in the hotel space. So we would have turnover all the time with housekeeping and front desk. But for specifically for you, Lance, how do you know or how do you find a good tutor? And also, let's say, you know, what makes a good tutor? Uh, so to be, a, you know, to be a tutor, and we use tutor loosely because that's what most people understand. I, I, our teachers are more learning strategists, learning therapists. Uh, they're educators, so they have a strong background in connecting with kids and finding out what the true issue is. Uh, so what makes a good teacher is you're, you're passionate about your trade. You have the ability to connect with kids. You are, you know, you desire to see people grow and become better people. And you also have to be humble. Right? And, you know, that's just the bottom line. And finding teachers has... It's been a slow process, but it's been a very rewarding process. Um, much like you guys do here, I want everyone that engaged academics to feel like a family. Right. So when you come on board, I want them to know that here's my here's my pitch to you, right? This is what engaged academics is about. This is why I started it. This is how I feel about education. If our philosophies align, then let's work together. Right. If if not, then it's, it's not going to be a good fit. But you have to be, yes, you need to make extra money, and it's for supplemental income for teachers most of the time, all the time. <laughs> but, but at the same time, you have to you know, love working with kids, and you, got, you have to want to see those kids progress and get better. So growing engaged academics is not something we can grow into 50 teachers you know, by next year. It's a slow process. We have about 13 right now. And, you know, I have to meet with those teachers. I have to make sure that they align with my philosophy. You know, we do background checks on everyone. We do our due diligence to find out what kind of teacher they are in the classroom. Is this just about you making some extra money after school? Or do you truly want to advance the mission of the company? And the, 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 the dessert is making the extra money. <laughs> so we were talking about this a little earlier before the podcast, but I think it'll be good for our listeners to hear is, why aren't you in the high school and test prep market? Yes, yeah, so we, we take selective high school students, and I say selective. Usually it's, you have to be a, a sibling of one of our current clients or maybe a former student of one of our teachers to work with high school kids. And there, there's, a, there's a big reason for that right now. Number one is we've identified that the main reason children struggle in school is not their aptitude. 99% of the kids we meet are extremely intelligent. You know, you let the reins off of them and they can just blow your mind with what they can do, right? They, they're so creative. They have all these, you know, different talents that maybe haven't even been identified yet, right? But what we find is that every child that we work with typically has an executive functioning issue, right? So that means they are poor at organization, planning, prioritization, time management. They have high levels of academic anxiety, which has been induced by years of not being successful. And what we find have found is by the time a child gets to ninth grade, 
the opportunity and the ability for us to actually change the mindset and learning patterns of that child is significantly reduced. And we're selective and and we're cognizant of that fact. So we're selective on allowing more children that age into our program because I don't feel like we can meet the standard that we've set with the younger kids. So I feel like we're not going to be able to, you know, deliver that consistency, that improvement that we deliver through K through eight or K through nine with the, with the higher level kids. Test prep is another thing. We, you know, our whole mission is about rehabilitating learners, helping them become better learners. And test prep kind of takes us in a different direction. Is there good money to be made in test prep? Yeah. You know, when you see people doing it or advertising it, you know, they're charging hundreds of dollars an hour for a test prep. Mm-hmm. But right now where the company's mission is focused, it's not on test prep. It's not on helping someone pass a trigonometry exam. It's not on helping someone pass their chemistry test. It's about helping you become a better learner and hopefully in the near future becoming a self-sufficient learner where you don't need the services of engaged academics. That answer your question. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a random question pop up. I just wanted to get your perspective on it. So what are your thoughts on private versus um, public schools? So you got private schools, charter schools, and public schools, right? Mm-hmm. And everywhere else in society, we get to make a choice on what we purchase, where we go to shop, et cetera, right? So it depends on what side of the fence you stand on. I mentioned this a little bit earlier on how you view these things, right? So if I'm zoned for a school that has low academic achievement, right? Mm-hmm. I'm zoned for that school. That's where I live. There's nothing I can do about it, right? I didn't I apply for school choice, but I couldn't get into the school of my choice, right? So now my child is forced to go to school at a school that's performing under the acceptable level, right? So why don't I get a choice in where my child goes? Can I not send my child to a private school or a charter school? Because I want them to have the best, and everyone wants their children to have the best of the things, that, especially the things you didn't necessarily have, or yeah. a high quality of education. So it it depends. Are there good charter schools and bad charter schools and private schools? Yeah, just like there is anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you know, my personal opinion, I was a product of public school. I went through public school my whole life. It worked out well for me, but at the same time, lots of things have changed. If I'm in a situation where I can only afford a house in a particular part of town and that particular school is struggling and, you know, I'm sending my child to school there and I feel like those academic gaps are widening, they're not, they're not, they're not satisfying the, the academic needs my child has, then I, sh- I should have a choice, you know. But I think public schools do the very best they can do with the funding, with the you know, positions they have. But I want to have a choice. Right. Then you have charter schools that are, you know, community board owned charter schools, basically. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, these for profit, you know, charter schools. But, you know, we live in a society where the individual should be able to make that decision. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean, that whole debate is fascinating to me. I mean, it, it's also really interesting geographically because Tallahassee, we don't have a ton of private schools in the area. When I mean, you go to a place like New York or, I mean, where I live, Silicon Valley, it's like, Every block has like a yeah. private school. Yeah. And it's, you know, like I said, it's just according to where you're standing on that. If I, if my, I'm fortunate. I live on the north side of town. My kids go to a, a well-to-do public school. The school has everything that a private school would have, basically, right? right? Because school funding is based a lot on 
you know, um, property tax rates right. and stuff like that. You know, so they and they have donations. People, you know, do fundraisers. So it's a it's it's cool. We decided to finish your sentence. Yeah, I, when I lived in Panama City Beach for give or take ten years, that's where I was born. I actually uh, went to all three. I went to a, a private school, Catholic, like a, a chartered Catholic school, and I also went to a public school. And it was just a lot of the same thing, but it's just a different environment. Yeah, like I said, I, t- I went through a public school education, K through 12. It's the only thing we had available at the time, <laughs> back in the 90s. And I mean, it worked out fine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, when I did my education degree and uh, student teaching and, and first you know classes, I was in a you know, Title One public school. Then I just got a gig for four years in a private school. And, you know, but, you know, what was attractive about the private school was just the autonomy to teach. Yeah. Like, just teach these kids. Right. Give them a, give them a you know, a, a valuable, you know, learning experience, basically. You know, a robust learning experience. And it was, it was great. But then again, you know, you feel, you feel torn because, Public school, you know, you have a lot of kids that, you know, can't afford right. <clears throat> private schools or the best schools, right? So our, our disadvantaged schools really need our best teachers. Mm-hmm. But our best teachers wind up, you know, usually moving to, to, the private to an easier, not, you know, to, to something where it's not so difficult all the time. Right. Yeah. But we have great teachers. And, yeah, I hear about all the time. I mean, like, so I went to public school all my life. And, I mean, I, I graduated from Rickards in the area. And then we had couple teachers who fantastic teachers but eventually they would move on for kind of you know a better school or better more money or more opportunity whatever it was and you see that all the time mm-hmm. unfortunately yeah i mean like i said fortunately like there's so many good teachers here in tallahassee and you know and you just don't hear about it you know it's just the you know, the unsung heroes of the community is the you know the teacher going to school teaching their kids giving their best effort you know, doing, bringing so much stuff from home, you know, like until you become a teacher, you don't really see it because right. it's just a part of everyday life. Mm-hmm. But then when you really connect and get to know those individuals, you, you just realize like how much they're really doing for these kids, like how much extra time they give out to class, how much they bring from home, you know, stocking their own classroom, you know, you know, providing treats and rewards, you know, yeah. to help their kids, you know, be better in the classroom. Right. So, so much. Uh, speaking of how much, uh, it makes me think of numbers. Uh, I noticed that on several of your platforms, you mentioned the fact that you're very data-driven as a company. Can you kind of expand on that and talk about more what that means? Yeah, so we can make assumptions that our kids are progressing. Right? Seem like they're doing great. The feedback, you know, the qualitative feedback is positive, but are we really, you know, making progress? So we use a couple of different data instruments to try to track that progress over a period of time. Reading fluency data, math fluency data. Uh, we use what we call the SMALL-Z, which is a student, uh, school motivation and learning strategies inventory assessment, which helps us, instead of guessing what a child's executive functioning deficiencies or strengths are, that gives us a nationally normed score on how they view themselves as a learner. So when a child is able to take, you know, take those, we take those measurements from a child basically, right? And then we can sit down as a team, whoever's going to work with a child, and we can put together like an action plan to help that child progress. And then what we want to do in the future, you know, two, three months, four months, six months, however long it is, we want to reevaluate those kids on a regular interval to see if those numbers are changing. Because I never want to retain a client that we're not providing the best service for. 
you know, so we always want to be able to have that conversation with the parents from a data perspective. Say, this is where you started. This is where you're at. You know, are you happy with that growth? You know, because, you know, we've been working as hard as we can. <laughs> and, and if you're not, you know, we will help you find something that maybe, you know, better suited for your child. But fortunately, we've been able to use those data metrics and help kids progress and make parents happy and kids happy and rebuild relationships at home and generally just have, you know, a good result with the children that we work with. Yeah, I think that's basically it. Well, I was also curious if you had any more general data on the state of education in Tallahassee, like how Tallahassee, Leon County, Florida compares to other places in America, maybe specifically big markets like New York and Silicon Valley. Like, are we lacking behind? How much? I think the whole state of Florida is lacking behind, according to the latest statistic, what, 48, 47, something like that. can't remember the exact number. We're pretty low in, you know, teaching pay and education. Um, you know, there's states, I don't know what the exact statistic is on educational ranking. I know the exact statistic on teacher pay, because it's in the news all, <laughs> it's in the news all the time. But, I, you know, I would think that, and I'm just making a general, I haven't looked at those numbers in a very long time, so I would just be making a general you know, assumption. But, you know, just working with students in Tallahassee from a variety of different schools, I think Tallahassee is doing a really good job. Mm-hmm. I think, I think you know, we've shifted into a positive, you know, leadership style in the school system. Um, funding seems to be improved. Uh, I personally work with the mentorship program in the school system. So mm-hmm. there's a big emphasis on getting mentors in the classroom and, and helping these kids who may have a disconnect, you know, reconnect, you know getting more people from the community involved in the whole education process. You know, with the, um, the Sheriff's Initiative all in, you know, the whole community kind of taking that approach. And um, that's, that's the only way we're ever going to be successful right. as a community is everyone has to do their part. You know, you can't just leave these standalone operations, you know, everyone, especially people, you know, like us out in the community that have jobs, you know, like when there's an opportunity to connect, you know, with a school, like sponsor a school, you know, do something, do something for a teacher, you know, have a, some kind of appreciation event. But I think overall Tallahassee is doing really good. I think when the, I don't know, when the state numbers come out this year, the FSA data, mm-hmm. I feel like it's probably going to be pretty good. But I'm just making an assumption. <laughs> uh, I want to go back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, you mentioned that your Engage Academics is coming up on three years uh, in a few, mu- uh, few months. So one of the questions that I wanted to ask you personally as an entrepreneur, well, all three of us are entrepreneurs in here. So what, knowing what you know today, what are, what are some of your biggest challenges for your company and specifically the education industry in general? So from an entrepreneurial standpoint, yeah. everything's <laughs> Fair enough. Um, you know, if, if you're not a business owner, if you're not, of the entrepreneur mindset, you don't really understand. But you know, taking on this adventure is is, is very lonely at times mm-hmm. because the responsibility falls on your shoulders at the end of the day, right? People have to get paid, bills have to be paid. Uh, you have to shape the mission of the company. You have to make sure the mission of the company stays true to that mission statement. You have to deal with customers on a regular basis. So one of the biggest challenges as, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, is the, the weight of all that on you and how you juggle it. 
and you have to and you have you find out really quickly like you have to find a team that you can delegate the task to and you you i think our mindset is we want to do it all ourselves the way we want to do it because it's just a vision that you have but you soon find that there's just not enough time you stretch yourself too thin you you don't provide the services that you originally thought you were going to provide so you have to take a step back you have to you know delegate find a good strong team you have to make sure that team is mission driven they believe in what you do and take your growth you know as it comes you know don't try to rush it you know do the right thing treat people fairly and eventually you know that growth begins to to trend you know more positively um that was that's my biggest challenge is the ideas that are swarming in my swimming in my head all the time, like how do I get all those ideas out? Right. I have a hundred ideas that I think will advance the mission of the company, uh, but then I have a budget that's much smaller. <laughs> you know, so you have, small budgets. You have, to, you have to say, well, let me just write that idea. <laughs> but you know, I think as entrepreneurs, I think to be an entrepreneur, you're just a creative spirit, right? Mm-hmm. So you have you have this vision. And um, and I feel I call them these bright shining objects. You know, they're like floating around. You try to grab them from time to time. Right. Like, oh, this is a great idea. I'm gonna run with it. But you know, I think we're just creative people by nature, and we want to, you know, take something that's an idea and turn it into something tangible that's real. And that in itself can be a challenge because you know you you tire yourself out a lot of times. Right. <laughs> you know, you're exhausted at the end of the day, but you you love what you do. Exactly. I mean, I, I truly love what we do. We get to make a you know positive impact on families. Uh, I get the flexibility of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I take a lot of work home and I do a lot of work that's unseen, you know, it does afford me the luxury of being able to come do something like this, or right. be able to go to a lunchtime mm-hmm. meeting, or you know, go into a school and mentor some kids. Like I mentor four kids this year, that's and, uh, and, and at Rob Middle School. And the only way I can do that is because I created a job where I could have that flexibility to do it. So, I mean, you're talking a lot about ideas and kind of your plans for the future. So I was just curious where you see your company, like one year from now, and then maybe down the road five years from now. So in August, we opened up our first homework and learning center. It's called Upgrade. And the, the, the name Upgrade, you know, kind of says it all. You know, we want to... Yeah, we want you to upgrade your, your 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 grades in school, but we also want you to upgrade your your mindset and become just a better learner overall. So engaged academics, the growth rate on these engaged academics is, is fairly slow. You know, I have to you know grab great teachers. We have to make sure their philosophies align. We have to pair those up with waiting clients, and the level of service we provide those kids is 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 pretty deep. So that growth rate is it's not as fast as as I would want it to be, but we can't go any faster because mm-hmm. if we go any faster, we're going to lose you know, the customer service that we, right. we've gotten. Um, and a shameless plug here, you know, we got Best of Tallahassee <laughs> Customer Service Award this year, so 2019. Congratulations. Uh, we're really proud of that. Um, but, you know, the idea behind the Learning Center was creating a, a better, faster revenue generator, basically. It's, it's also providing a high-quality service to kids that need educational help, but it's created to help the, the kid that doesn't need one-on-one tutoring, but needs somewhere to go to get extra homework help, a little bit of group tutoring. Hey, I don't understand this. Uh, can you help me out with it? 
basically take some of the burden off the parents for a couple days a week if needed. Let one of our teachers work with your kid, get their homework done, complete their assignments, help them with a science fair project, whatever it may be, and then let them go home. The, the main focus right now is to keep engaged academics trending the way it's trending, keep providing that high quality customer service, keep acquiring dynamic teachers and placing those teachers with waiting clients. Um, but my, my main focus right now is the, the homework and learning center. How do we, we, we've got a pretty good model, I believe. So what we want to do is be able to repl replicate that into a couple different areas in town. I've shaped it to function basically like a gym membership. So for $99 a month, you can drop your kid off for an hour a day, five days a week. And the, the idea behind that is because there's a lot of people that can't afford what we do privately. It gets expensive over a couple of months, you know. But, you know, if we can offer a, a lower tier service, which is still high quality, you know, we can attract, you know, more people to take advantage of that. So I need to go shopping in Publix, right? Well, I'm going to drop my kid off for homework help for an hour go do my shopping, come back, or I want to go down to the gym, you know, at Premier and work out, or Modern Fitness, which opened up down the street, mm -hmm. or I want to go to Island Mean Company, wherever it may be around the corner from where we're at, go take a break, you know, let someone else kind of take on that educational burden for you for a little while, and then you come back, pick up your kid, go home and have a good night. But the idea is to take that model and replicate it. What we found is that particular style of learning center we want to find a place where we can embed it in a community because what we find is parents everyone is just overly busy right so as if we can make our services as convenient as possible it will help everybody it will help the business it will help business growth it will help families by not having to drive six or seven miles in Tallahassee traffic at six o'clock to drop your kid off, right? Mm -hmm. So our goal is over the next year to replicate our homework and learning center, maybe in one or two other places here in town, uh, hopefully in a community, the Killarn area or maybe Southwood area, something to that nature. Uh, and what we try to provide is this boutique type feel where the learning center is very creative, it's very colorful, um, and it's very modern. So it doesn't feel like a classroom. It's really, it's open. We have marker board tables. We have, you know, a big mural on the wall. We yes. have, uh, you know, music playing. It's just a friendly environment where you can come in, concentrate, get your work done, and, and go home. And like I said, we, we structured it like a gym membership, so it's it's financially feasible for a family to, to purchase that. But like I said, that's our goal for the next year is to replicate that learning center and hopefully two more places here in town uh, just for convenience factor. And we, we don't need big spaces. We just need right. a small space because we, we keep our ratio really low. We do a five to one ratio with a teacher. So there's always, if there's five kids there, there's going to be, you know, one one teacher working with five kids. If more than that come, come in, then we have another teacher that works with, you know, the overflow. But basically, we want to keep our numbers small and provide high quality of service. And we just want to do a volume of business with them. And that's our main goal. Keep engaged academics like the way it's going. Are we able to replicate that somewhere else? I don't know yet. But we're kind of watching it. <laughs> so before we uh, wrap up uh, this episode, one of the questions that I love asking all of our guests is, what does Tallahassee mean to you, Lance? Tallahassee is home. That's what it means to me. It's like, 
you know, I grew up in a real small town. Um, lots of opportunities were not afforded to me because I was in a small town. Now, I had a great time growing up in a small town because it's all I ever knew. We got away with a lot of stuff <laughs> that you could not get away with in Tallahassee. Thank God there was no cell phones or video recorders, you know, back when I was growing up. But Tallahassee, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just home. Like, my kids are going to get to grow up here. There's so much for them to do. It's, it's a beautiful terrain. Uh, I mean, we're five minutes away from being in the woods. Or we're ten minutes away from being able to go fishing, yeah. or, you know. But we can go to a movie, or we can go to theater. Um, so Tallahassee to me is just—it just feels like a small town, but it has all these other opportunities available that a small town doesn't have. Spot on. I, I can't agree with you anymore. Um, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for what you do for our, our community and education as a whole front. I think Turner and I could possibly talk about education with you pretty much oh, yeah. all day. Uh, but thank you again. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on with us. Yeah, it was great. Thank I appreciate you. it. Man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, that's it for this week. We do encourage everyone to like us on Facebook, you know, make our relationship Facebook official. Please, please, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or Google. And thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, we are currently Tallahassee. Cheers. Cheers.